Welcome to Bladder Buzz, the podcast where doctors, researchers, and consumers discuss bladder health and function for those with neurogenic bladder. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Argy Stampas and Dr. Rose Gavari to discuss all things neurogenic bladder. And now, Bladder Buzz. Welcome to Bladder Buzz. I'm Dr. Argy Stampas, a rehab physician or physiatrist treating people with spinal cord injury and brain injury at Tier Memorial Hermann and UT Health at Houston McGovern Medical School. This is our first in a series of podcasts about neurogenic bladder directed to healthcare professionals. We want this to be clinically informative for healthcare workers who don't necessarily treat people with neurologic disorders. But don't worry, there will definitely be a lot of potty talk in this podcast. Joining us today is Dr. Rose Kavari. Rose, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Argy, and welcome everyone to the Bladder Buzz. I'm a urologist with Houston Methodist Hospital, and I am fellowship trained in neurogenic bladder, neurourology, urinary continence, and pelvic reconstructive surgery in both men and women. And basically what that means is that like any other urologist, I also take care of my patient's stones, hematuria, recurrent UTIs, you name it. But also since most of my patients have pelvic floor dysfunctions, whether being neurogenic such as spinal cord injury or MS or non-neurogenic like in women with prolapse or incontinence or men with incontinence after plastic procedures, I take care of those more complex pelvic floor dysfunction disorders. So Rose and I know each other because we share mutual patients. As a physiatrist, I, I work to improve the function and quality of life of people with neurologic injury and disease like stroke, brain injury, spinal cord injury, MS, Parkinson's, all of which can affect the bladder. And that's where Rose comes in. Rose, can you explain to everyone what is neurogenic bladder? Sure. Um, Argy, I think, I think of neurogenic bladder as just a broad term which is for any individual that has any bladder or urinary symptom and a concurrent neurological diagnosis, like the ones that you mentioned. Someone comes in with a history of Parkinson's or stroke and has some urinary bother, then they have a neurogenic bladder diagnosis. However, it's just a very blanket term. It's a very generic term, and it's just blaming the bladder and only the bladder. A more specific and accurate terminology that we're starting to use uh, in more um, scientific literatures and in our writing and research is the terminology called neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction. That's a much bigger term and it includes the entire lower urinary tract not functioning properly. And by that, I mean the bladder, the bladder neck, and the sphincter not functioning properly. What are the symptoms of neurogenic bladder? Yes, yeah, so are you, when I talk to my residents and my fellows, I always make sure that they understand the function of lower urinary tract first. So, and then we talk about the, the malfunction, the neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction. So the function of lower urinary tract is to hold urine, to store urine, and then to empty it properly at the right time and the right place. So patients with neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction can have storage abnormalities where they can't store urine properly, like they have high pressures in their bladder, leading to urgency, gotta go, gotta go feeling, frequency, nighttime um, and nocturia, incontinence being daytime or nighttime incontinence. And then they can also have abnormalities during their voiding phase, during their emptying phase. 
And when patients come in with voiding phase abnormalities, then they present with urinary hesitancy. They have a hard time to initiate a flow. They have a hard time to keep a good stream. The stream is weakened. They have intermittency. And most importantly, I argue, I think um, we have to realize that in neurogenic bladder patients, they can have symptoms during their storage phase and voiding phase. And most commonly, they present with a combination of storage and voiding phase abnormalities. So the symptoms are the incontinence or the retention, the frequency. What about no symptoms? Can you have patients with neurogenic bladder and no symptoms? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think this is such an important point. A lot of these symptoms take a long time to develop and may go unnoticed by the patients or their family members. For instance, if you have a tethered cord patient, um, they, it may take 18 years for them to see that they have any symptoms. And by the time they actually see the symptoms of urgency, incontinence, nocturnal enuresis, the bladder has already remodeled, the bladder has already changed and has become fibrotic and there's no way going back. Not only the bladder, the upper tract could have changed. The bladder, their, their kidneys could have become hydronephrotic. They could have stones in their kidneys. So it's important that if you have a patient with neurogenic bladder diagnosis or you suspect that they have any neurological disorders, to keep in mind that their bladder, their bowel can be affected. Um, and that's when they need to be assessed and screened carefully and closely. So Rose, what is that assessment to try to figure out what the bladder is doing on the inside? Because you really can't tell from the outside. So Argy, I'm, I'm sure you see this in your patients as well. Um, the most important thing, again, is for our colleagues to be, to be aware to refer the patients for urological assessment and evaluation. And when, they come, when the patients come to see us, we'll make sure that their upper tract is in check and the lower urinary tract is also in check. With upper urinary tract, we check usually a BMP, look at kidney function, creatinine, GFR, and sometimes if indicated, we get some sort of imaging, either an ultrasound or if they've had a history of stones, we get a CT scan. For lower urinary tract assessment and evaluation, uh, we always get a baseline urodynamic study, and that's what's recommended in most of our guidelines. By urodynamic testing, it is sort of an invasive procedure and it does involve a small catheter in the bladder, small catheter in the rectum. So I tell patients, this is our EKG. This is, if you do EKG to find out the function of the heart, this is the EKG for the bladder. It tells us about the function of the bladder. And we actually use fluoroscopy when we do our urodynamics. So we fill the bladder with contrast and we'll look at the pressures during the storage phase, during the voiding phase. We can figure out if there's any reflux, how is the bladder emptying? and it gives us tons of information. Um, and then sometimes we also need to do cystoscopy. Let's say if they've had a indwelling catheter, suprapubic tube or Foley for years and years, we may need to do a cystoscopy as well. So when we do all of these kind of evaluations at baseline, then we can categorize the neurogenic bladder patient population to either, that specific patient, either to a safe patient bladder that we can manage with specific tests long-term or we can screen long-term, or they are more at risk or high-risk bladder patients, and then we have to do more specific things to manage them long-term. So, Rose, you mentioned a couple things, and I just want to clarify to the listeners. What do you mean exactly when you're talking about reflux, using fluoroscopy to see reflux, and then you talk about high-risk bladders and low-risk bladders? So, Argy, by 
reflux, I mean vesical ureteral reflux. That's when the bladder cannot, or, or the ural orifices are not competent enough to prevent from urine going back up in the ureter and then eventually in the kidneys. So if the bladder has really high storage pressure or during valsalva, during let's say transfers, a lot of our neurogenic bladder patients transfer themselves or they have really high pressures in their bladder, the, the ural orifices will pop open and the urine will reflux to them. And since most neurogenic bladder patients have some sort of colonization with bacteria in their bladder, this can get to their kidneys and then they can have pyelonephritis. But not only the pyelonephritis itself, this pressure of the urine going up to the kidneys can affect the kidney function and over a long period of time can cause irreversible renal damage that can lead to transplantation. So that's the high risk group of patients that we worry about. Patients who have high storage bladder pressures, patients who have evidence of vesicle urea reflux or already have hydronephrosis in their kidneys. They've had, they've had recurrent pyelonephritis. Um, those are the patients that I think their bladder is hostile, it's not safe to let go, and we need to aggressively manage them. Okay, so a quick recap here. The symptoms of neurogenic bladder can be anything from urine retention to frequency to incomplete voiding and even subclinical neurogenic bladder, which would have no symptoms unless you did the urodynamic study. And that actually brings me to an interesting pearl here. In the spinal cord injury um, literature, there's this really nice study where they took two groups of spinal cord injury patients, ambulatory and non-ambulatory, and they did urodynamic tests on both of those groups. And you would think with this gross differentiation of the two types of spinal cord injury, there would be a difference seen on their urodynamic studies. There was no difference. So again, what is happening and what you see on the outside, whether it's your motor test, your sensory test, a spasticity exam, none of that is informative about the, the lower urinary tract. Okay, I, I agree with you. This is so true in almost all neurological diseases that I see, especially spinal cord injury, as you mentioned, multiple sclerosis patients, and Parkinson's, where you also, majority of your patients are male patients, and they also have bladder outlet obstruction because of benign prostatic hyperplasia. So they, the symptoms are not necessarily indicative of what pressures or what risk category they're in. And it's so important to make sure that they, each individual patient is assessed properly. So Rose, taking this from a primary care physician perspective, in a patient with neurogenic bladder, what do you recommend they do for these patients for this system as part of their routine care? So Argy, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because from my standpoint, it is so important that we're all on the same page, that the primary care colleagues recognize how important it is to identify patients with neurogenic bladder, refer them to a urologist with expertise in caring for neurogenic bladder patients to undergo the appropriate evaluation and assessment. And it's the ones I mentioned, the urodynamics, upper tract evaluation, lower urine tract evaluation. And then after that evaluation is done, then usually this is what I do for my patients is that I come up with a plan. If they are more on the safe category, I make a specific outline of how frequently they need to be seeing me 
or seeing their specialized urologist. And if they're more at risk, then obviously we would keep a more routine and structured intervals that they would visit with their urologist. But that initial assessment and evaluation and then coming up with a long-term plan is the key. So this is more of a teaser for one of our future podcasts, but is there any role for a routine urinalysis in this population? Oh my God, Argy, this is not going to be only one podcast session. It would take us three or four podcasts to answer that question and go over all the debate and the interpretation of the debates on that um, session. Everyone can do a urinalysis, but I think we need to think about, is that going to change our management while we're doing it? If we are looking for an infection with our urinalysis, does the patient have symptoms? Or if they're asymptomatic, then we shouldn't really do a urinalysis. But if you're looking for hematuria, then maybe that's another reason to do the urinalysis. So it depends on what questions we're trying to answer. So I'm going to leave it at that, and then we can go into specific reasons of um, getting a urinalysis and culture and then acting upon it in the future bladder buzz session. All right, so let me summarize because um, we have to be brief here. Every neurogenic bladder is unique, like a snowflake. Neurogenic bladder can get worse over time if it's untreated, and routine urologic monitoring is strongly recommended. Is there anything else... Rose, that you'd like to share with our audience? Yes, Argy, there are a couple of things. First, I think what we're doing right now with these podcasts is raising awareness within our healthcare community, within our colleagues, our primary care physicians who are seeing these patients more frequently than we do. So raising awareness, making sure that we all have the same knowledge and the same tools and resources to identify patients at risk, and to refer them to the appropriate urologist who will take care of neurogenic bladder patients is the first thing. And secondly, I think partnering with our primary care physicians to take care of our patients. Um, We all know that this disease doesn't go away. It's a long-term commitment from our standpoint, from patient standpoint, from primary care uh, provider standpoint. We're all committed to take care of these patients. So I personally reach out to most of my primary care physicians, and I encourage the primary care physicians to reach out to the urologists caring for our patients and make sure that we are all all on the same page. We're all working as a team to improve the quality of life for these patients and also make sure that their kidneys are protected long-term. So this partnership is the second thing that I want to highlight. Great. Thank you, Rose. I appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. And thank you for keeping bladder pressures low and capacities high and uh, compliance maintained. Wonderful. My pleasure, Argy. We're going to keep the bladder safe one bladder at a time. And I'd be happy to join you in your future podcast and cover different aspects of neurogenic bladder management for our listeners. Bladder Buzz is presented by the Rehabilitation Research and Training Center on Neurogenic Lower Urinary Tract Dysfunction. The information presented in this podcast does not express the views of the individual's employer or affiliated institutions. The content is for informational and reference purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, or as the sole source of guidance for decision-making. We advise you to always consult with a physician before making any healthcare decisions or for guidance about a specific medical condition. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.